Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. Go with me over to Luke chapter 17. We want to read our, our foundation text on this study dealing with offense. You might wonder, well, why are you teaching on this so long? Well, because people are still offended. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Luke 17, glory to God. Jesus said, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Offenses are a fact of life. They're impossible to to, to avoid, and so we are to be on guard against offenses. We uh, pointed out the fact that this word that's translated offense means a trap or a snare. And the way the word is actually used uh, most of the time in scripture, it, it, uh, a lot of translations will render it, uh, a, uh, instead of offense, they'll render, they'll render it a stumbling, uh, a cause of to stumble, that sort of thing, an ensnarement. We found out that the actual Greek word literally refers to the bait inside of a trap. And so we were talking uh, last week about uh, the offense is the bait. And the trap has been set by the devil. And uh, the, the way to avoid a trap is to recognize it and not take the bait. Amen. So when something offensive, listen offending things will happen. You will uh, be confronted with offense. They will come to you. Jesus told Peter one time, Peter, you know, Peter was just trying to be nice. Jesus was talking about the fact that he was going to go up to Jerusalem and that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to, you know, die on the cross And Peter piped up and said, far be that from you. He was saying, no, no, Lord, don't say that. That's not going to happen. And Jesus turned around and said, Peter, you are an offense to me. You remember him saying that? He said, you are an offense to me. Every time I read that scripture, I feel so bad for Peter. I feel like, poor guy, you know, cut him some slack. He's just trying to be nice. But Jesus said, you are an offense to me because you are not savoring the things of God, but the things of men. Amen. In fact, he said, get behind me, Satan. He actually called him the devil. That's pretty strong. I figure I'm probably on pretty good territory. I I haven't called anybody the devil yet tonight. (laughs) But you might not think so before the night's over. We'll see. (laughs) Amen. Don't be offended. Offense will come, but you don't have to become offended. Amen. You don't have to take the bait. Don't take it. Amen. Uh, We looked at this scripture, and let's turn over there uh, and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 23, we'll just, we started in, we read some other earlier verses before this, but we'll just start in verse 23. 2 Timothy 2, 23, but avoid, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. 
you know, contentions and arguments and so forth, uh, they're strife generators because people get offended. He said, avoid these things, knowing that, that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not strive or quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Notice that Paul was writing to Timothy. This wasn't an epistle written to a congregation like the church of Ephesus. It was an epistle, a personal letter written to a person, to Timothy. And he's giving him advice as a minister. Of course, everything he says can be applied, you know, in our lives in in some way or another. But it's important that we realize that he's talking about, he's talking to Timothy and he's talking about the ministry. And, uh, And he said that a servant of the Lord must not strive, the same word, that's uh, used in, in verse 23, only it's the verb here. Serve of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Is it the pastor's job to correct? Yes. Amen. Now, about half of you said so. Uh, the others are still uh, waiting to make up your mind. In, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, the one translation, the older King James says, at his will. The new King James says to do his will. And I've looked into uh, uh, what Greek scholars have said about this particular text. And there's, and there's, uh, there's support for both of those translations. But the point is, people who are offended and who are in strife are, are taken captive by the devil at his will and to do his will. We talked last week about how remarkable that is. You know, I just realized I don't have a clock in here at all. Honey, you're going to have to really make signs to me tonight. We'll have signs and wonders tonight. She'll make signs and I'll wonder. Amen, all right? Give me a 10, give me a five, give me a countdown, all right? Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. People who are in offense are in the snare. They've been taken captive by the devil. Amen. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a big offense to trip you up. Doesn't have to be a real biggie. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I started to to begin reading in verse... 12, but really to get the setting for this, uh, it's important to, to go back up. We won't go all the way to the top of the chapter. Let's start in verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you are, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice he says that chastening is an ordinary part of sonship. Being a son involves being chastened of the Lord. When the Lord brings correction into your life, uh, you need to respond positively to that. It says here that we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. And it says in verse 10 that they indeed for a few days chastened us, us as seemed best to them. You know, chastening takes different, there's different degrees of severity of chastening. Amen. Well, when you read this scripture, traditionalists have, have taken this and they've, and they've uh, tried to interpret this as giving an explanation when people are sick or when some kind of uh, uh, bad uh, tragedy or crisis or something comes into their lives or their homes. They'll say, well, you know, the Lord's just chastening so-and-so. How many of you know that God doesn't chasten his children with sickness? He doesn't, put, he doesn't bring disasters into your life. He's not wrecking your car. He's not burning your house down. He's not getting you fired from work. I mean, that's not how God chastens. Now, we found out from reading other scriptures that, that, that when in extreme cases, if someone persists in sin long enough, the Lord has to take his hand of protection off of that person. And then, and, and that is referred to as being judged or chastened of the Lord. And when the Lord has to take his hand off of you, then bad things can happen because then you have basically, because of your disobedience, you've opened the door for the devil. God doesn't do it because he's, he's not going to do that. But whenever you have, when you repeatedly violate God's will and knowingly uh, resist uh, uh, his direction in your life, it just, it, uh, it has consequences. Amen. But you know, the very first way God corrects us is with his word. And isn't, in parents, isn't that the first way you, you correct your children? They do something that, that isn't right or maybe uh, you've told them to do a certain thing and they do it a different way. You stop them and say, now I told you not to do that. You correct them with, with your word, isn't that right? Well, that's, that's where God always starts. How many of you would agree that it would have been so much better for your children if they had just listened to your first correction? If they just had responded when you told them not to do or to do a certain things, you corrected them, it would be so much better if they would just Yield to that correction. Well, it's the same thing, it's the same way with God. When the Lord begins to correct you, he'll correct you himself. He'll correct you through me. I said he'll correct you through me. Amen. Well, learn to receive the correction from the Lord. Don't be hard-headed. Don't be bull-headed. Don't be thick between the ears. 
Amen. Don't, don't bow up when the, when the word of God brings correction to you. Open your heart and know that God is trying to help you. Amen. Uh, did, uh, did, where did we stop? We stopped in verse... We, we read verse 11. Verse 12 says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be, rather be healed. In, others, in other words, quit moping. Pick yourself up. You know, it's not pleasant when the Lord corrects you, but, but get up, straighten yourself up, put a smile on your face. Amen. Agree with God. And then he says in verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without, no, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, now this is the verse that I wanted you to notice. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Notice it's not a big tree of bitterness. It's a root of bitterness. He didn't say it's a mountain of bitterness. A lot of times we don't identify and take care of things in, in the area of offense because we don't think we're sufficiently offended. Well, it's not a big thing. You know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not really angry with this person. I, I, I don't really talk about this person. I'm not mad about it. Yeah, but you don't feel about them like you used to either. Amen. There was a time when you, you appreciated them. There was a time when you looked forward to seeing them. And, and, and when you were in their presence, you, you, it, it lit you up. It, 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 it blessed you. You don't feel that way anymore. You might not be angry at them, but, but if you trace that back, if you trace it back, where did that change? Where did your feelings toward that person change? It changed at a point of offense. That's where it changed. And those are the, those are the roots of bitterness. And you see, if you don't get a root up, you can keep mowing that, that tree down when it, when it first breaks the, breaks the ground, but it'll just keep coming back. I have a, I had, I say, I had a, 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 a citrus tree in my yard when I bought the house that I'm living in, and it was a lemon tree, but the, the fruit was bitter. You couldn't eat it. It was terrible tasting. I don't know why anybody planted it, but there it was outside of our, our bedroom, our back bedroom window was this, was this uh, 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 lemon tree, and it was awful. Well, I wanted to plant something else there, and so I took that tree down. How many years ago? Where is Wayne Avigny? Wayne, how many years ago was it that you grafted those uh, uh, Chinese honey into that other stock? Six years ago? Uh, seems like it's been longer than that. Yeah. We, this tree came down way before that. Probably 10 years ago. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember completely. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't absolutely remember this. But I think, 
I dug around and, and took up the root ball. It, it wasn't a huge tree. It was only about maybe to the top, maybe uh, uh, 10 feet tall, probably eight feet tall to the top, you know, so big around. It wasn't real big. Trunk of the tree was about this big around. And I think I dug down and, and at least got some of that main root out. Did you know to this day, it's still putting shoots? <laughs> to this day, that all in a circle, probably, probably uh, 15 feet in any direction, that, that little tree keeps still coming up after all these years. That's a resilient root. Well, offense is the same way. Now, I thought I had got it out. But if it keeps coming up, it's not coming up from seed. The tree's gone. The tree's been gone 10 years. So if it's coming up, root must still be in the ground. There's no other explanation. Amen. Well, if there is still evidence of that offense in your life, then you need to deal with that root. Get it up. Now, for me, it's going to be a little difficult. I just keep, I just keep mowing over it. And I, and I just think, well, you know, I'm just going to keep on mowing up. I also used to have some uh, elephant ears growing around right up that, that same back corner of the house had these elephant ears, and I don't like elephant ears. I just don't like, you might like them, fine, you can have them, but I don't like them. And so I sprayed them with Roundup and they just died, but they just come back. And I sprayed them again. And, and I've been doing that for probably six or seven years. And, and now I'll go sometimes six months and I think, the elephant ears are gone. And then one day, whoop, comes up an elephant ear. Thank you. Huh? I offended I've offended them, I guess. But my point is, a, a root of bitterness has to be dealt with. And a lot of people either will not acknowledge the root of bitterness or they just flat refuse to deal with it. Either one of those things can keep you in the devil's trap. Yeah. It can keep you in the devil's snare. Amen. It is, it is, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It is the most important relationships of life. It is in the most important relationships of life that Satan works to bring conflict and offense. It's in the most important and most vital relationships. That's where he works to bring in offense. You know, you're, you don't really get offended at somebody that you don't care about. You don't care about their opinion, what they think. Isn't that right? I mean, some, somebody might say something aggravates you, but you just, you know, kind of pass it off. Uh, his ultimate goal, got, the devil's ultimate goal in offense is to separate you from that person. He wants to destroy that relationship. That's what he's after. We talked about that, the fact that family, you know, is, is uh, an area where the devil really works to try to bring offense. Lawyers will tell you that, will tell you that uh, uh, divorces are some of the ugliest and meanest and nastiest lawsuits out there because of the, uh, because of the uh, emotion involved. And the devil loves to get in and destroy relationships. Well, where did it start? It started with offense. Fortunately, as a rule, 
at least where Christians are concerned, most Christians don't allow offense to completely separate them from their closest loved ones and friends. We, we know that marriage is important and so we know better than to let offense destroy our marriage. But it can sure make it an unhappy marriage. And a lot of Christians put up with an unhappy marriage year after year, decade after decade because of offense that they will not dig up and unroot and get out of their life and out of their marriage. Amen. And again, the devil's goal is to, is to break you up. Well, the same thing is true where your church family is concerned. You know, your church family isn't important. We're important to one another. What we have in a local church is important. Next to your actual blood family. Listen, I'm a strong advocate for family. God created and ordained the family before he did the church. It is fundamental to humanity. Okay, so I'm, I'm a, uh, family is first. Okay, but the ch- God has also ordained the church. And God has put us in a church family. It's not, it doesn't have the same uh, 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 obligation as, a, as natural family. Listen, I'm just keep coming back to this. Protect your relationships with your family. I'm talking about with your natural family. Protect those relationships. No church, no minister should try to come between people and their natural blood. That's an abuse. You ought to protect those relationships. But having done that, you also need to recognize that your church family is a God-ordained family. And it's a God-ordained relationship and the devil wants to separate you from it. Yeah, he does. He wants to break you up from, he wants to separate you from, from your fellow brothers and sisters at church. Amen. God placed us in a local body for a reason. You know, the same Jesus who said it's impossible, but that offenses, uh, it's impossible for offenses not to come. The same Jesus who said that put us in a body, in a local church where we can get offended. Listen, if you haven't been, if you haven't had an opportunity for offense in your local church, you don't know enough people. That's all that means. You just don't know enough people. You just haven't gotten around enough. Because believe me, there's enough of us here that we can cause you problems eventually. Why? Because we're human. You're never going to find the perfect church, it doesn't exist. You're never going to find the perfect pastor. You can come real close like you have here. But, but it, honestly, it doesn't exist. Somebody said, even if you found the perfect church, as soon as you got there, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. As soon as you joined it, that would ruin it. Isn't that right? Amen. Go to, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness. How many of you know that lowliness, lowliness is the opposite of haughtiness? Would you agree that's true? With all lowliness, or you might say humility, gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Sounds to me like 
that the Apostle Paul recognized that the Ephesians had uh, some, some problems. The people in the church had occasion to have to bear with. You know, you don't have to bear with somebody who's always just perfect towards you. Amen. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, there's a, there's a scripture over in Proverbs that uh, you might want to make note of. And it's in the 18th chapter of Proverbs. You might want to mark this in your Bible. It's a real good one. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. The um, uh, AAT, I have this marked, the AAT translation. I'm not sure what that stands for now but I've got it in my Bible. This translation reads, the recluse seeks his own selfish interests. He quarrels with every sound principle. God wants to get you separated from your church so that you will be separated from sound counsel. Amen. You know, the, the, the scripture that, that we've looked at before says that, uh, again, in in. Proverbs, it says that without a vision, my people perish. People perish without a vision, without a revelation. Well, people need to be uh, joined to a local church and become not just attend the church, but be active in a church. Participate in the life of the church. Find something to do where you can serve in the church. It's the only way you'll ever fulfill very of a large part of the gifts and graces that God has put in your life, the vast majority of that will never be fulfilled outside of the local church by being involved in the church. But you know, people who don't do that, who don't get involved, uh, uh, they tend to become easily alienated, easily separated from the church. Some little something happens and, 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 they, and they get frustrated and get offended and they leave. And then they go out and, and they're, like, they're like a wild horse, you know, or, or, or a horse that's part of a team. And he breaks free from the, from the, uh, uh, the harness, you know, of, of the bridle. They're all bridled together in a team. And he breaks loose and he goes up in the mountains. And he's up there, you know, by himself. For a little while, that horse feels so free. Woo, I'm free, you know, I can just run around, I can just kick up my heels, you know, and throw dust in the air and, and just have a great time and I'm not under that yoke anymore, nobody's telling me what to do and, and, and people that become isolated from a church, that's how they feel initially. I've had people say, oh yeah, oh I tell you, it was the best thing in the world when I left that church. Boy, there's just so much freedom in my life. Well, that, that, that works for a while. But you know, eventually nightfall comes. That horse is up in the mountains. The rest of the team is down with the camp. They're around the fire. They've got a, 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 a master there that's watching over them. He's brushing those horses down. He's giving them water. He's feeding them. He's caring for them. That wild, you know, that one that broke free, he's up in the mountains having a good time. But after a while, you know, you, that, that no longer becomes fun. A horse like that will not be cared for adequately. He'll not eat very well. It'll be a struggle to survive. When, when the storms come, he's just out in the elements. Amen. 
When predators come, there's nobody there to, to, to protect him. He's out on his own. It's not a good place to be. Well, when people, people get isolated and separated from their church, it, 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 they become a prey in all kinds of ways. Amen. God has set the members, each of them in the body, just as he pleased. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 12 says? Now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Well, if God sets you in a church, then he sets you in a church for a purpose. And he's well pleased for you to fulfill that purpose. That Listen, if you're in the place God has ordained for you, know for a fact that the devil wants to separate you. No, he, 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 listen, I look out through this congregation, there's not a person here that the enemy doesn't want to separate from this body. He would love to separate you from this body. Amen. How does he do it? Well, the principal way is through offense. Amen. Uh, Psalm 92. Psalm 92. I have no idea. With no clock, I have no idea where I'm at. I do have a watch on my arm. I guess I could look at that. What'd you say? Oh, I, I, it is. I, I mean, I can keep going, but it's hard for me to pace myself. I can spend too long on one, one point, you know, not realize that I'm running out of time. I tell you what, let's, let's, let's skip this for now. Uh, why, why, I asked this question when I first started, why, why am I continue, why do I continue to teach on this subject week after week? Well, because some people are offended and they're either not willing to admit it or not willing to deal with it. Did you know spiritual health is discernible? I said spiritual health is discernible. You know when somebody's on fire with God. You know when somebody's full of the Spirit. It's getting quiet in here. <laughs> you know when someone is on fire for God. You know when someone is glowing spiritually. You also know when people begin to drift. There's our countenance reflects our spirituality so often. You can see it on people. Well, you can see offense on people. Sure you can. Now, now you can, mis, you can misinterpret some things. I, I acknowledge that. But at the same time, it's also something that, that is discernible. Yeah. Praise the Lord. In 2008 and 2009, we lost 25% of our congregation due to offense. Right here. 25% of our congregation over 2008, 2009, maybe into the edge of two, it was kind of spread out. But we lost over that period of time, just a few months, we lost 25% of our, of our congregation. And we lost them because of offense. Now listen, not everybody left was offended. Okay, but I'm, I'm just counting the ones that were. The enemy, his tactics never change. If you go back and think about it, when this started, it was a little over a year after prayer took hold in our church. And when God starts working 
and he starts moving in a congregation, he gives opportunity for people to get on board and begin to flow uh, with what he's doing. And I've seen it over and over and over again, not just in this church, but previous churches that I was familiar with before I got into the ministry and talking to other pastors. Almost every pastor will tell you this happens, always happens. God begins to move in a special way in a congregation to bring the church to another place, to another level in, in vision and in, and in the move of God. And after a period of time, people will, it, it will begin to separate. It's not God that does this because people won't flow and won't yield to, to what God's doing. That happened in, back then. Well, we've been in revival now for a little over a year. I know how the devil works. That's why I'm teaching on this. Amen. Judge yourself where offense is concerned. Don't let the devil rip you off. Don't let him separate. I'm telling you and I'm warning you, that's what he does. Don't let the enemy separate you by some stupid offense. Amen. This is how spiritual vagabonds, this is how spiritual vagabonds are born. You know, Cain in the beginning, uh, whenever God began to deal with him about getting his act together, he told Cain, he said, sin is lying at the door. And it's, and it's you know, he offered up a sacrifice that wasn't acceptable. And he got mad about it. And God came to him and said, listen, sin is crouching at the door. And sin wants to overtake you and destroy you, but you can stand up to it. Well, we know he didn't. He yielded to the wrong spirit. And God had to, he had to drive him out from his presence. And he said, you will be a, a, uh, a vagabond and a, I forget what, what else he said, uh, 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 a stranger and a vagabond the rest of your days. You know what Cain did then? He turned around and, and said, well, God, it's your fault. He started casting the blame on somebody else because he wouldn't acknowledge where his character was, was bad and do something about it. Amen. Uh, he became a fugitive and a vagabond because if you, he chose to run from conflict rather than face his own character flaws and change. How can you tell if the enemy's working on you to try to separate you? Well, it's pretty easy. Like I said, people, everybody else can tell. Amen. Your zeal isn't what it used to be. Your zeal for God, your zeal for the church. You say, oh, but I, my zeal for God is just as strong as it ever was. I read my Bible, I pray every day. Yeah, but how about your zeal for the church? How about your zeal for this house? Is it what it used to be? It should be and more. I said it should be and more. You should love your church. You should be Thrilled with your church. You should be glad when they say, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not sad. Let us be glad. 
You should be thrilled with your church. You should be thrilled to see people in the church. You should be thrilled with your pastor. It's, it's healthy to love your church, appreciate your church, appreciate your church family, appreciate one another, value them. It's healthy. It's a sign of health. It's a sign of health when you appreciate your pastor. Listen, I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to, 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 uh, uh, I'm not trying to win uh, uh, brownie points or anything. That's not my point. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be honest with you and, and show you that this is how the devil separates people from the plan of God for their life. You get separated from the right place, it can cost you everything. Now listen. I do not believe that we're the only church in the area and that, you know, some people, some churches have taught, you know, if you lose our, leave our church, you know, catastrophe, catastrophe is going to fall, fall on you. God's cursing you, you know, and everything. Everybody's going to die in your family. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. That's cultish. There are a lot of places, good churches you can go to. That's not my point. But my point is, and, and my point is, if God's placed you in a church, he's placed you there for a reason. He has a plan for you. And if you get out of that plan, it will cost you. It's not because of that church. It's not the identity of that church or anything special about that church. It's the will of God for your life. You get out of the will of God for your life and it costs you everything. Amen. Your zeal isn't what it used to be for the Lord. It's not what it used to be for the church. It's not what it used to be for your pastor. It's recognizable. People can see it. I can see it. You think I can't see that? You don't pay attention in church? You sit there with your nose down? You don't respond to anything that's going on? You don't receive the word. If, if you're talking to a person, if I come up to Kendra and start a conversation, she starts talking to me and I don't want anything to do with what she's saying and I just block her. Can she tell that? Yeah, if she's got brains and she does, she's very smart. Yeah, you can tell that. I can tell that. I'm closer to you than usual. What are y'all doing on so back so far in church anyway? Why are you in the back rows? No, even from up there, I can see it. Well, amen. You don't enter in like you used to. You don't have joy like you used to. You don't praise God like you used to. You're resistant. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I mean, I see, I see it. I see it on people's countenance. They're resistant. They don't want anything to do with it. It's true. The enemy's trying to separate you. Closed. Go to go to 2 Corinthians 6. Real quick, we're running out of time here. 2 Corinthians 6. Let me speed this up. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 11. O Corinthians, we have sp- 2 Corinthians 6, 11. I want you to read this. This is not a passage that, that uh, preachers preach on very often. You won't find this on a refrigerator magnet. <laughs> o Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, 
but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak to you as to children. In other words, my beloved child, my beloved children. I speak to you as my beloved children. You also be open. Paul said, I'm pouring my heart out to you. I want you to respond the same way. I want you to be open. That's what Paul would say. The Corinthians were, there, there was something that had happened. Some people had come through and spread some rumors about Paul and people in the church were believing it and, uh, and some people were offended with the apostle Paul. If you read the two epistles, you'll see that he had to deal with it. They were offended, some were resistant and he's saying, don't, don't do that, open yourself. I'm just trying to be a father to you. Amen. Uh where it says you are not restricted by us, you are restricted by your own effect, affections. I was looking for another translation. I, I left my, uh, my tablet at home that had some different uh, translations on it. But it basically is saying, you know, we're not, he's saying we're not, me, my team, you know, as an apostle, we're not restricting you. We're not holding you back. We're not holding you down. We're not suppressing your liberty in Christ. You're suppressing yourself. Because of the things you've hooked up with, the things that you've entertained in your life, your own affections, the things that you've fallen in love with. He said, those are the things that are limiting you. Your pastor's not limiting you. Amen. You don't appreciate your church or your pastor like you once did because you are offended. Something happened or didn't happen that you didn't like or some series of things, and you just won't forgive and let it go. And you see, if, you, if you're in that condition, if you look back and you think, you know, there was a time when I just loved this church and I was thrilled to come and I was just so appreciative of everything going on and, uh, you know, when, when a person becomes offended, all of a sudden uh, they become critical, fault-finding, Instead of, instead of enjoying the service, they nitpick the service. Amen. Sit back and, and, and uh, assign ugly motives to everything the pastor says. Well, he's just trying to, trying to help. This will help you. If you trace, like I said, if you trace that change of attitude, when did that change? When did it change? The way you felt about the church and about others in the church and the pastor, or it could be other people. When did that change? Trace it back. Start at a time when you didn't, when you felt like you ought to feel, and then bring those and go back in time and forward in time and find out what, where where did that change? If you'll be honest, it was at a point of offense. Something happened that you didn't appreciate, you didn't understand, you didn't like, and it took root in you. The devil wants to separate you, and I don't want it to happen. You know, there are things about your church you should be thankful for and not let offense make you forget. I, I, we were at uh, uh, the 50-somethings on Friday night, and we were sitting talking to uh, Wendell and Lori, and they were talking about how blessed they have been in this church and what this church meant to them. You know, people don't realize those things, those things bless Pastor Angela and me. 
And we're talking about how, you know, how different this church was and is from where they came and how much they appreciate uh, the difference and how it's impacted their life. And, and uh, uh, you know, the devil will try to get you to, to forget all of that and focus on something that's not even important. Think about how much you've received from God in this church. Think about how different this church is from where you came from. There was no life, no power, no truth, no Holy Ghost, no move of God, no answers in time of need. God has blessed us richly. We need to, we need to fight for that. We need to stand up against the devil and say, no, 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 you're not ripping me off. You're not taking me from my house of blessing. You're not taking me from the place where my answers come from. Amen. Your answers come from the Lord at home. I know that. But answers come from community as well. They come from the local church as well. You need to remember the deliverance and blessing that has come to you and your family through this church. Your children, your home. You need to remember how many times your church family stood with you in times of trouble. When the devil was attacking you. When trials came, amen. You need to remember how many, remember those times when, when your church family stood with you, when, when you were able to stand with somebody else and God allowed you to be a blessing and to bring life into somebody else's situation. That's precious. You need to remember the times your pastor stood with you in times of crisis and remember those things and not let the devil get you off on a rabbit trail. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. This is good. Galatians chapter 4, Paul dealt with these same kinds of issues more than one church, not just the Corinthian church. He dealt with this in, in, in the churches of Galatia as well. Galatians chapter 4. Now, verse 9, after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have labored, labored, labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. The, the, the older King James says, where then was the blessedness of which you spoke? What has happened to that? What, what happened to all that blessing that you, that you had, that you talked about? If I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, no. Sometimes it's just necessary to warn people. Amen. Don't let frivolous, 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 don't let frivolous disputes and, and things that, uh, that you just choose not to deal with. Don't let those things uh, fester in your life. Dig them up. Identify them. Dig them up. Judge yourself. Root these things up. Get rid of them. 
Amen. I, I tell you what, I'm amazed sometimes at, at the things that people will forget. Over some little offense, they'll let, it, they'll let so much blessing just count for nothing. I've had people tell me before, Pastor, in a situation that I helped them through, I've had people tell me, Pastor, I've never had a pastor before. In all of my years as a Christian, you're the first real pastor that I've ever had that actually worked with me and, and gave me the word of God and stood there with me. I've never experienced that. And, and said, you know, you, you saved my family and you saved this situation I was going in. In a matter of months, that person's offended and gone. Yeah. Because of some little offense. Listen, when you get offended... Everything that that offended person says or does becomes twisted. You filter everything they say and do through that offense. And, 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 and you, you'll be offended over more things that, that have no basis in reality whatsoever. Amen. It's happened. Well, praise God. There's a, there's a move of God on and, and we need everybody. I don't want to lose anybody. Amen. Amen. We need everybody to be vigilant, to stand together, to pray for one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, encourage one another. Well, amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? We've got a great church family. Got a great church family. God put you here for a reason. Don't let, don't let him rip you off. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.